Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. It is the Sunday before Christmas, and if I'm honest with you, um, there's actually a lot of angst in my home. And the reason that there is a lot of angst is because we started putting Christmas presents out three weeks ago. And we shouldn't have done that. We should have waited until Christmas Eve once they'd gone to bed because what's happening now is that children are picking up packages and feeling them, smelling them, and shaking them, and rattling them, and moving them all around, stacking them according to whose is whose, sometimes leaving them out in the middle of nowhere. I tripped over a present last week. Well, while they they hope for what's inside, they they have this imagination of what it could be, and you'll hear them guessing and hoping because they can't actually see what's on the inside. They know with certainty that they're going to get the presents because they see them before Christmas is even here. And so so there's a difference between knowing that you're going to get something and seeing it versus not being able to see it and hoping, waiting and hoping because you don't actually see what it is. Today, as we continue our series, uh, looking at the first and second advent of Jesus, we're going to be talking about waiting with hope. Uh, Renette's going to come forward and lead us in uh, in a scripture. She's going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, and we are going to be looking at this passage where it's after Jesus has been born, just 40 days after he was born in Bethlehem, and Mary and Joseph, like good Jewish people, present Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem. And while they're there presenting Jesus at the temple in in Jerusalem, as the law required, they meet two people. Uh, They meet Simeon. And last year, we did a little sermon on Simeon, and we didn't have time to get into Anna, but today we're going to focus on this old, old, old woman named Anna that they meet at the temple. So Renette's going to read for us. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, He was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by that spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace, as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. 
His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And Simeon blessed him and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And the sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phineal, the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after marriage, and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. It's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. There was an experiment that was done uh, probably 40 years ago, something like that, and all it required was a marshmallow, uh, a timer, and a child. I don't know if you've heard of this experiment where the psychologist would bring a child into a room where there was no one else, just a table, and they would sit them down at the table, and then in front of them they would stick a marshmallow. And they would tell the child, you can eat that marshmallow. But if you can wait five minutes, just five minutes, and not eat the marshmallow, when I come back, I will give you another marshmallow. Well, it was interesting, the experiment that was done uh, decades ago, they found that kids who were able to wait actually uh, seemed to do better in life. They were able to score higher on the SATs, which was interesting. But this experiment has been repeated over and over again. If you go to YouTube, you can just enter in like marshmallow kid experiment, and you'll see it pop up, and I recommend that it's really entertaining to watch these children be tortured by waiting for that marshmallow, because as soon as the door shuts and the psychologist leaves, the kid's face goes to the table, and they just stare at that marshmallow and look at it, and you can see them, you can see the angst. Some of the kids are, touch, touch. One little boy even stuck his tongue out and just placed his tongue on the marshmallow and let it, let it rest there for a minute. <laughs> it's hard to wait. It's hard to wait. How, how are you doing with, with waiting this year? How are you doing with waiting this year? Uh, what, what are you waiting for? In many ways, we're all waiting for something collectively as a society, but what are you waiting for? Uh, maybe you're waiting for a kid to come home. Maybe you're waiting for someone's heart to be softened. Maybe you're waiting for God to answer a specific prayer. Maybe you're waiting for your career to be advanced, or maybe you're waiting to find that special someone. Whatever your marshmallow is, it's hard to wait. It's challenging to wait for that one thing, especially when we don't see it, right? Uh, when we know something's coming, we can see it. It's a little bit easier to wait, but when we don't see it, it's harder to wait because waiting when we don't see it requires the Bible calls waiting for something that you don't see, it calls that hope. And our hope is in God. But sometimes when we hope in God, sometimes when we pray and our hopes aren't answered or it feels like God doesn't hear our prayers, 
we become disillusioned. We get tired of hoping. We get tired of believing. And all of a sudden, we, we, we're not filled with hope. Rather, we're filled with emotional exhaustion, which can become cynicism. And then when we want to hope again in God, I, I tried that. It feels unsafe. It feels too risky. And so we begin to think God won't act. God won't hear our prayers. God's not worthy of my hope because the last time I hoped, he let me down. Today we look at this really interesting story about this woman named Anna who's really only mentioned in this few verses in the Bible. And we know from what Luke tells us that she's a prophetess, that she has special communication with God. We also know who her father is because the text tells us that. We also know that she is of the tribe of Asher, which is one of the tribes that was carried off to Assyria during exile. But what Luke really wants us to see about her is that Anna is old. Anna is old. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. Now, um, we're trying to do the math on how old this woman actually is. And that day, you would get married when you were a teenager. So we think that she could be like 14 to 16 years old when she got married. And then seven years after that, she lost her husband, which was really tragic in that day. Women were not as independent. They didn't have as much economic stability on their own. So when their husbands would die, and if they didn't have any sons, you were in financial trouble. You were in financial trouble. But seven years after she is married, her, her husband dies. And we can't quite tell from the Greek. She could either be 84 years, or it could be 84 years after her husband died, which would make her 104. Either way, in that day, when people didn't live as long, she's old. I mean, if she's 84, she's really old. And if she's 104, she's really, really old. But although her home was split in tragedy when she lost her husband, she had found a home in the temple. She had found a, a place in the temple in Jerusalem on the holy mountain of God. That's where she lived, the very place where heaven touched earth, the, the, the place where God dwelled among his people, the place where the nations could come and experience the light of God. She lived in the temple. And she lived there during an interesting time. Anna lived during what we call the intertestamental period. Intertestamental means between the testaments. After the Old Testament, before the New Testament. It's a 400-year period, and that time was a hard time for a couple reasons. One was God was silent. God was silent during those 400 years. There was not a prophet who spoke authoritatively for God during those 400 years. So it was a hard time to wait because God was silent. But not only that, it was a time of oppression. It was a time of oppression because Israel did not rule over themselves. They were under the Roman Empire. If you go back just one chapter, Luke takes great lengths to say that Caesar Augustus required everyone to have a, a census in the known world, and that's why Jer Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem. And they do that because they have to follow the oppressing government that's over them. And so it's a hard time to live in Israel because God has been silent, but Rome is over Israel oppressing them. Yet, Anna is this character who seems to be waiting, 
and waiting and waiting, but waiting with hope. She seems to be this character who is waiting with hope. And the reason that she's waiting with hope is she has this strong connection with God. In fact, our connection with God fuels our waiting with hope. In verse 37, it says, She did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting prayers. She stayed near the place where God dwelled, and she served God in the temple. We're not quite sure what that means, but we know that she lived there, and she maybe have encouraged worshipers who came there to sacrifice. She might have helped with the upkeep of the temple. We're not really sure, but she stayed there to serve God night and day. But that's not all she did. She prayed, and she fasted. Now, this is a woman who's lived in the temple, it seems like five plus decades, maybe seven plus decades. And during those decades, she's known as the woman who prays and fasts, whose most important thing in her life is her connection with God. Day after day, she's on her knees praying. Year after year, she's fasting before the Lord. Decade after decade, Her hope is strong because so is her connection with God. Luke doesn't portray her as this woman who's cynical because her life went sideways when she was 20. Nor does she portray it as this woman who walks around the temple babbling about Roman politics. No, she's filled with hope as she waits. She's filled with hope as she waits. She is waiting for the redemption of Israel. Remember how Rome is in power over Israel. Uh, She's waiting for the redemption of the capital city, Jerusalem. As we read at the beginning of the service, God sent the prophets to tell about this time when Jerusalem would be restored, when a king would be restored to the throne of Jerusalem. And, And Jerusalem, the capital city of God's kingdom, would be set free. The people would be set free from their sins and from their oppressors, and they'd be restored to everything they were meant to be in the world. And that's what Anna was praying for. That's what she was fasting towards. That's what she was hoping for. She waited for God because she prayed and she fasted. Praying is hard. The longer we pray, the more weary we get, the more hard it is to wait. And I don't know if you've prayed and prayed and prayed and then it didn't happen and you become a little cynical about prayer. Well, it didn't work. And then you begin to lose your connection with God. The part of prayer is asking God to work. But part of prayer is also asking God to help us wait with hope until he does. Part of prayer is asking God to work, but part of prayer is also asking him to help us wait until he does work. We tend to think that prayer is more about filling God's mind up with our requests. But there's another part of prayer. A prayer is also about filling our heart up with hope in his promises, with hope in what God has promised and committed himself to do. We pray. And when we pray around God's promises, when we pray and look at the scriptures at what he has said he will do, it will fill us with hope. Anna prayed. She prayed. But she also fasted. Now, when we talk about fasting, everyone gets in the feels, right? 
Everyone gets in the feels about fasting because maybe you were forced to fast and you didn't want to. Uh, maybe people uh, are like kind of legalistic about fasting. And so you're like, oh, I just got this bad taste in my mouth when it comes to fasting. But what if you didn't look at fasting through the lens of legalism, but rather looked at fasting as uh, something that created a heart of hope? What if, what if fasting before the Lord actually fueled your hope in God? See, when we deprive ourselves of something like food in order to come before the Lord, it refocuses our attention on who God is and who we are before him. Joel Green, a theologian, in talking about praying and hoping, says that fasting is an expression of hope. It's an expression of hope, a form of prayer entreating God to set things right. Because when we deprive ourselves of something and go before the Lord and ask him to work, it, it clears our mind and puts our focus on the God who is above all things, on the God who has promised many things, on the God who can change anything. And it strips away the distractions that we have every day. And so Anna prayed as she waited with hope, but she also fasted as she waited with hope. And she stayed connected to God. During 400 years of silence, Anna's known during her lifetime for fasting. During decades where uh, Rome was occupying Jerusalem, she's known for praying. As she waits for the Redeemer with hope, all of a sudden, the Redeemer shows up at the temple. As she prays over and over again for the redemption of Jerusalem, God sends the Redeemer into Jerusalem, and she gets to meet him face to face. See, it's 40 days after Jesus has been born. Jesus is born in Bethlehem on a, on a cold night uh, in a stable. But then Mary and Joseph, as good Jewish people, took Jesus 40 days later to the temple to go through the Jewish purification rites and be presented to the Lord. And, and so they go there, and when they're there, when Mary and Joseph have the baby Jesus, they meet this old man named Simeon who is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He, he believes God's promises from Isaiah, and he believes that, that God is going to comfort his people and restore them. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And the Spirit has revealed to him that he will meet this Messiah before he dies. And just at that moment, the Spirit leads him into the temple to fulfill the promise that he made to him. And there, Simeon gets to see this child. And what does he say? In verse 29, Simeon says, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen. My eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation of the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Oh, I was hoping, I was waiting, but now I see. And now I can die in peace. I've seen the salvation of the Lord. I've, I've seen the baby Jesus. But, but then in verse 38, the, the character that we're focusing on, it says, at that very moment, Anna came up. At that very moment. Uh, Luke wants us to see something here, that the timing is impeccable for Anna. 
It's almost as if she didn't orchestrate it, but she was led by someone else into this moment of destiny with the Redeemer that she had been praying for. All those moments that she had been on her knees praying for the Redeemer, it just so happens that it has to, happens to be this moment that she comes to the temple where the Redeemer is. In other words, God is sovereign as she waits. God is sovereign as she hopes and prays and fasts. And God is sovereign over you in your waiting. He orchestrates everything according to his will. He will never, ever, ever not keep a promise. God is sovereign as Anna waits, and God is sovereign as we wait. But if we're honest, we've got questions. Like, did God send Jesus because of Anna's prayers? I mean, what if Anna had quit praying? Would she still get to be part of it? And we start going, how does all this work? Give me a formula. One plus one equals two. Well, the text doesn't tell us. Luke doesn't tell us, like, what triggered what. The, the text just tells us that God is sovereign as Anna waited with hope. God is sovereign as Anna prayed. God is in control as Anna fasted. Uh, God kept his promises as she waited with hope. And maybe there's an encouragement for you there as you're praying for whatever you're praying for. As you pray and you fast and you wait and you hope. God's sovereign. You can pray with boldness because God has a plan. God is only ever going to keep his promises. When we read in Scripture what God has committed himself to do, there is no way he will violate any of those promises. And therefore, as his beloved people, we can pray with boldness. Even when it's hard. Even when it's days longer than we think it it is. Or decades longer than we think that we should pray. Whether it's that praying for that job opportunity. Whether it's praying for that person to come to know the Lord. And you've been praying for years upon years, whether it's praying that you'll meet that person, know that God is sovereign as you wait. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. God is sovereign as you wait. And what that means is, The waiting isn't pointless. It sure feels that way, but the the waiting isn't pointless. The waiting actually has a purpose. The waiting has a purpose, and it's this. Waiting is often about who God is making you into as you wait. Waiting is about who God is making you into as you wait, and it's specifically this. God wants to make you a person of hope. God wants you to make you God wants to make you into a person of hope. And see, here's the thing about hope that we already said: if you see it, then you don't have to worry and wrestle with hope. But hope is only there when you don't see it. What in your life is God making you wait? Where is He making you wait? That requires you to get up in the morning and hope again. Even though you don't see it, even though you've prayed about it, even though you feel like you want to give up, where are you being called to be a person of hope? Because it's just so easy, isn't it, to become bitter, to be jaded, 
to be self-protective. I hoped last time, and it didn't work out. And so I want to play it safe. I don't want to get my expectations up again. I, I just can't go through the emotional ups and downs. But, okay, God wants you to be a person of relentless hope. Really, the the waiting isn't pointless. It has a purpose, and the purpose is that you could be a person of hope. And I want to ask you, is that a worthy purpose? That's a tough question. Is that a worthy purpose? If I become a person of hope, what does God do with that? Well, maybe there's an answer here in this story. Anna is a woman of hope from decade after decade after decade. And here we are, 2,000 years later, being encouraged by her hope. If God makes you into a person with relentless hope, maybe the purpose is that you give hope to others. Maybe the purpose is that as you hope in Jesus Christ, it draws other people to hope in Jesus Christ, just like Anna's doing for us now, though she's been dead 1,900 years. That's amazing that God can do that. Who knows what God could do with your hope? And here's the thing. Making you into a person of hope is a worthy purpose, but God is also worthy of your waiting. God is worthy of your waiting. All the wrestlings that you have, all the prayers that you go through, all all the struggles as you fast, God is worth all that. Sometimes it feels like he's not, but God is worthy of our waiting. John Ortberg, who's a pastor, says this, waiting on the Lord is a confident, disciplined, expectant, active, sometimes painful, raise your hand, say amen, sometimes painful clinging to God. Waiting on the Lord is the continual daily decision to say, God I will trust you and I will obey you even though the circumstances of my life are not turning out the way I want them to. And they may never turn out the way I want them to. I'm betting everything on you, God, and there is no plan B. That's waiting on the Lord. It's the hardest work of hoping. Is God worthy of your waiting? Simeon and Anna say yes. Simeon and Anna say yes, that God is worthy of our waiting. But, but that's really what we're going for here in the midst of Advent. I mean, as, as we look back on Christ's coming, we're reminded, particularly today, that people had waited not just decades, not just centuries, but millennia for the Messiah to come. And God did as he promised. God did as he promised. He sent Jesus. And so all those thousands of people who waited those thousands of years, their hope was not pointless because God came through. And as we look back at the first coming of Christ, it refuels us to be a people of hope even in the darkness of the present. Many of you are familiar with the Christian author Johnny Erickson Tata. She was an active teenager, and then in 1967, her and her friends went swimming in the Chesapeake Bay, and she misjudged the depth of the water. She dove in and became paralyzed when she broke her back. And as she went through rehabilitation to gain some sort of movement back, she went 
through anger and depression and, and cynicism and all the tensions that you would expect until she found hope, until she found hope in Jesus Christ. And now, at age 71, Johnny Erickson Tata is known as a woman of deep faith. In fact, she's written over 50 books, and most of those books are about hope. And one of the interesting things about Johnny Erickson Tata's life is that she, in particular, really points people in a visible way to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because when Christ returns and heals her body, she will be able to walk again. But the interesting thing about Johnny is that she says, even if I don't walk now, I still have hope because I'm certain of what is coming. She says this, when it finally hits you that the hopes you cherished will never come true, when it finally hits you that your loved one is gone from this life forever, that your child's disability will never change, that you'll never be as popular or pretty or as successful as you once hoped you might be, then your sights are lifted. A broken heart leads to true contentment. Then we ask less of this life because we know full well that more is coming in the next. That more is coming at Jesus' second coming. That we will get everything that we need and hope for when Christ returns. But the interesting thing about that is it's, the, it's Christmas that fuels that hope in the second coming for her. Listen to what she says. She says, every Christmas is still a turning of the page until Jesus returns. Every December 25th marks another year that draws us closer to the fulfillment of the ages, that draws us closer to our heavenly home. Every Christmas that passes, Johnny Erickson thought I can feel, we're just that much closer to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. Waiting is difficult. Waiting is challenging. Waiting is hard. But each Christmas year, our hope is fueled as we remember that Christ came and he will certainly come again. And that makes us resilient people of hope. I have some friends from high school who just wrote on social media about um, them losing their dream home. And, and you got to hear the story to understand the depth of significance for them. Uh, my friends are married with four biological children and four adopted children. So they have eight children total. And what makes them particularly unique is that two of their adoptive children have the condition called dwarfism. And so their family is very unique because they'll actually go out to malls and all their family will share the gospel with strangers. And it's very challenging at times. She writes on her blog that Sometimes people will come up to her children who have the condition of dwarfism and just start taking pictures of them without even asking. And they'll have to chase these people down and say, that's not your kid, stop taking a picture of my kid. And yet they share the gospel with hope. Well, they have found their dream home recently. You know, a place where they could raise their, their family in safety. And, and not only that, but the home was in the neighborhood where they had a friend who had lost his wife. And so all these things were coming together in their mind and like, wow, we can raise our family here and God has a purpose because we can love on this family and our kids can grow up together for decades together. This is awesome. And then it all fell through. 
And then it all fell through. So she posted this a couple weeks ago, and I thought it was very fitting that she put the Christmas tree. It reminds us of Christ's second coming. But she said, this week we lost our dream home and the deposit that went with it. The home was next door to my friend's widower and young children. And there were plans and hopes and dreams that stretched out in a decade-length images in my mind. Then our inspector found a little bit of toxic mold and then a little more. And all of our best laid plans ran through our hands like so much water. I am left with this. God is good and he is kind. He is beyond time and he sees everything that is to come. His plans are perfect and he is working all things for our good and his glory. And I don't have to understand. Then listen to what she wrote. But above all, this is not our home. He is coming soon. And he is going to make all things new from his righteous throne. And the skies above us will be rolled up like a scroll. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. Friends, I, I don't know what 21, 2021 holds for you. I don't even know what tomorrow holds for you. But I know this. As you, as you look at that Christmas tree this week, uh, you can see the lights and remember the light of hope that you have in the coming of Christ one time and again. As you look at the friends of, as you look at the faces of your friends, you remember that one time you will see Jesus face to face and he will heal all of your brokenness. He will heal all of your pain. He will make all things new. So friends, you have much and no one who hopes in Jesus will be disappointed. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.